Section 59 of The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Irma Martin. The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. Part 2, Book the Third, Chapter 1, The Tadcaster Inn. At that period London had but one bridge, London Bridge, with houses built upon it. This bridge united London to Southwark, a suburb which was paved with flint pebbles taken from the Thames, divided into small streets and alleys, like the city, with a great number of buildings, houses, dwellings, and wooden huts jammed together, a pell-mell mixture of combustible matter amidst which fire might take its pleasure, as 1666 had proved. Southwark was then pronounced Sudric. It is now pronounced Sussork, or near it. Indeed, an excellent way of pronouncing English names is not to pronounce them. Thus, for Southampton, say Stumpton. It was the time when Chatham was pronounced Jetame. The Southwark of those days resembles the Southwark of today about as much as Vaugirard resembles Marseille. It was a village, it is a city. Nevertheless, a considerable trade was carried on there. The long old Cyclopean wall by the Thames was studded with rings, to which were anchored the river barges. This wall was called the Efric Wall, or Efric Stone. York, in Saxon times, was called Efric. The legend related that a Duke of Efric had been drowned at the foot of the wall. Certainly the water there was deep enough to drown a Duke. At low water it was six good fathoms. The excellence of this little anchorage attracted sea-vessels, and the old Dutch tub, called the Vograt, came to anchor at the Efric stone. The Vograt made the crossing from London to Rotterdam, and from Rotterdam to London, punctually once a week. Other barges started twice a day, either for Deptford, Greenwich, or Gravesend, going down with one tide and returning with the next. The voyage to Gravesend, though twenty miles, was performed in six hours. The Vograt was of a model now no longer to be seen except in naval museums. It was almost a junk. At that time, while France copied Greece, Holland copied China. The Vograt, a heavy hull with two masts, was partitioned perpendicularly so as to be water-tight, having a narrow hold in the middle and two decks, one fore and the other aft. The decks were flush as in the iron turret vessels of the present day, the advantage of which is that in foul weather the force of the wave is diminished, and the inconvenience of which is that the crew is exposed to the action of the sea, owing to there being no bulwarks. There was nothing to save any one on board from falling over, hence the frequent falls overboard and the losses of men, which have caused the model to fall into disuse. The Vograt went to Holland direct, and did not even call at Gravesend. An old ridge of stones, rock as much as masonry, ran along the bottom of the Efric stone, and being passable at all tides, was used as a passage on board the ships moored to the wall. This wall was, at intervals, furnished with steps. It marked the southern point of Southwark. An embankment at the top allowed the passers-by to rest their elbows on the Efric stone, as on the parapet of a quay. Thence they could look down on the Thames, on the other side of the water London dwindled away into fields. Up the river from the Efric stone, at the bend of the Thames, which is nearly opposite St. James Palace, 
behind Lambeth House, not far from the walk then called Foxhall, Vauxhall probably, there was between a pottery in which they made porcelain and a glass-blower's where they made ornamental bottles, one of those large unenclosed spaces covered with grass, called formerly in France cultures and males, and in England bowling-greens. Of bowling-green, a green on which to roll a ball, the French have made bowling-green. Folks have this green inside their houses nowadays, only it is put on the table, is a cloth instead of turf and is called billiards. It is difficult to see why, having boulevard, bolivert, which is the same word as bowling green, the French should have adopted bowling green. It is surprising that a person so grave as the dictionary should indulge in useless luxuries. The bowling green of Southwark was called Terenzo Field because it had belonged to the Baron's Hastings who are also Barons Terenzo and Mauchlin. From the Lord's Hastings the Terenzo field passed to the Lord's Tadcaster, who had made a speculation of it, just as, at a later date, a Duke of Orleans made a speculation of the Palais Royal. Terenzo field afterwards became waste ground and parochial property. Terenzo field was a kind of permanent fairground, covered with jugglers, athletes, mountebanks, and music on platforms, and always full of fools going to look at the devil, as Archbishop Sharp said, to look at the devil means to go to the play. Several inns, which harbored the public and sent them to these outlandish exhibitions, were established in this place, which kept holiday all the year round, and thereby prospered. These inns were simply stalls, inhabited only during the day. In the evening the tavern-keeper put into his pocket the key of the tavern and went away. One only of these inns was a house, the only dwelling in the whole bowling green, the caravans of the fairground having the power of disappearing at any moment, considering the absence of any ties in the vagabond life of the mountebanks. Mountebanks have no roots to their lives. This inn, called the Tadcaster, after the former owners of the ground, was an inn rather than a tavern, an hotel rather than an inn, and had a carriage entrance and a large yard. The carriage entrance, opening from the court on the field, was the legitimate door of the Tadcaster Inn, which had beside it a small bastard door by which people entered. To call it bastard is to mean preferred. This lower door was the only one used. It opened into the tavern properly so called, which was a large tap-room, full of tobacco smoke, furnished with tables, and low in the ceiling. Over it was a window on the first floor, to the iron bars of which was fastened and hung the sign of the inn. The principal door was barred and bolted, and always remained closed. It was thus necessary to cross the tavern to enter the courtyard. At the Tadcaster Inn there was a landlord and a boy. The landlord was called Master Nicholas, the boy Gavicom. Master Nicholas, Nicholas, doubtless, which the English habit of contraction had made Nicholas, was a miserly widower and one who respected and feared the laws. As to his appearance, he had bushy eyebrows and hairy hands. The boy, aged fourteen, who poured out drink and answered to the name of Gavicum, wore a merry face and an apron. His hair was cropped close, a sign of servitude. He slept on the ground floor in a nook in which they formerly kept a dog. This nook had for window a bull's-eye looking on the bowling green. End of section 59